The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to CTK. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. And it is good to be with you. If you're a guest or visitor, welcome. Uh, this morning, we are uh, continuing in our sermon series in the book of Joshua, and we'll be looking at Joshua chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Joshua 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and you can follow along in the order of serve, or you can follow along on the screens as we'll project the passage in just a moment. Um, but if you were with us last week, then you remember uh, that that as we began our series, we were introduced to a new leader, a new character, right? That Joshua chapter 1, the central character of that chapter, the central human character, is Joshua. Moses, the one who had led God's people through the wilderness, who had led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, he's dead. He's gone away. Um, but now Joshua has been raised up by the Lord to lead his people. He's the central character. But but in chapter 2, as we come to our passage this morning, Joshua kind of fades into the background a little bit. He's still there, he's still leading God's people, but he's no longer the central character for this one chapter. No, the central character in this chapter, the central human character, is Rahab the prostitute. Now, as we read this passage, and as we encounter this woman, I want us to have a few questions in the back of our minds. As we go through these verses, I want you to be wondering and thinking, who is God's grace for? And who are the people who have faith? So who is God's grace for and who are the people of faith? Well, with those questions in our minds, let's read Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, two men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men did come to me. But I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out, to, out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction." And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. 
Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save all my father's, save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with the respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and, and all your father's household, excuse me, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath and what you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she went, sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to him, to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word, and we ask simply that you would help us. Help us so that we uh, would see with eyes of faith who you are and what you have done. Help us so that my words would give you honor and glory. Help us so that as we consider your word, may you would minister to us. So we pray, Father, that you would lead and guide us, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I commit my soul to my gracious God and Savior, who mercifully, and, who mercifully spared and preserved me when I was an apostate, a blasphemer, and an infidel, and delivered me from the state of misery on the coast of Africa into which my obstinate wickedness had plunged me, and who has been pleased to admit me, though most unworthy, to preach his glorious gospel." These are the words that were written in the last will and testament of John Newton. And John Newton, to our ears, as we know him as the great hymn writer, the pastor, the one who came alongside William Wilberforce in efforts to rid uh, the British Empire of the slave trade. This John Newton, to our ears, it is no surprise to us that he would write these words, right? I mean, this one who wrote countless hymns like Amazing Grace this wonderful pastor, right, for him to say, I commit my soul to my gracious God and Savior. His mercy spared and preserved me. It's no shock to us that he would say these words, but, but to those who knew Newton, especially the young John Newton, these words would have been shocking. 
they would have been surprising because his life itself was a great surprise. As a young man, John Newton boarded a ship called the Harwich and he put himself into naval service. He was a midshipman on this boat and he later recounted that while he was on this boat, he lost all sense of moral conviction. He wrote that he was capable of doing anything. He had no fear of God and didn't have the least sensibility of conscience. He would become a deserter of the Navy. He was immoral and later a slave trader. That's who he was. And yet through a series of events, a literal and metaphorical storm Newton would later write, I stood in need of an almighty savior, and such a one I found described in the New Testament. This slave trader, this immoral man, this deserter had newfound faith. To us, because we know the end of his story, this is of no surprise, but to the men who had sailed with Newton, who were on that ship, this would have been shocking. That the immoral, that the slave trader, that he would come to faith. It's a surprising faith, it's an unexpected faith, and it's a faith that we see played out in our passage. I know that your bulletins say the people of faith, but you can scratch that out. It should read an unexpected faith, because that's what we see. It's an unexpected faith, right? Joshua sends spies into the land, into Jericho. Right? He sends them to Jericho because this is the first city that they're going to have to take as they seek to take the land. And as the spies go in, they come across something very unlikely, something surprising. They go into this pagan city, the house of a prostitute, and what they find there is faith. Now, before we start running in our minds to maybe unseemly things, right? the, the spies didn't go to the house of the prostitute to do anything immoral. They went there because this place would have been a public place. It would have been a place of commerce where people were coming and going. And so it would have been a place where they could have hidden themselves, where they could have blended in, where they could scout out Jericho and other parts of the land. But they were found out, right? We heard in the story. The king of Jericho got word that there were spies, and so he sent word to Rahab's place, and, and Rahab, if, if she hadn't have hidden them, if she hadn't have, uh, put them aside and, and directed, redirected the people who came questioning, then the spies would have surely lost their lives. She hid them and protected them. And why? Why would a Canaanite, pagan prostitute, protect these men? Well, it's because Rahab had faith. We actually see this in verses 9 through 11. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So what Rahab's telling us is that word of what God had done. 
his deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, and his war against some of the other nations uh, outside of the land, that word of that had gotten into Jericho, that Rahab had heard. And it wasn't just Rahab who had heard it, but the people had as well. So think about the different responses that, that this could elicit. The different responses that the people could have as they hear this word. They could have responded with fear, right? Ready for battle. This war and nation is coming upon us, so we need to be ready. In fact, Rahab said their hearts melted, and the king of Jericho was clearly on the defensive, right? He was on the lookout. So they could have responded with fear. Or they could have responded with indifference, right? As word got around about what God had done and about this people of Israel, right? The people of Jericho, of, of Canaan, they could have just shaken it off and been like, well, you know, sh sure, he, he rescued them out of Egypt. Sure, he, you know, parted the Red Sea. I mean, it seems like maybe a little bit of embellishment, but, but you know, whatever. What, what does it have to do with us? Right? That, that's their God. That's this people. But, but really, what does it have to do with us, our day-to-day -day lives? They, they could have responded with indifference or with fear. Or they could respond to what they had heard with faith. Like Rahab did. Did you hear what she said? The Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Y'all, that is an incredible statement of faith. It's an incredible statement of faith because remember who Rahab was. She was a Canaanite. That meant that she lived in a polytheistic world. A world where there were many gods. Right? And she was surrounded by these gods. And all of these gods would be vying for her attention, for her affection, for her allegiance. And yet when she hears about the Lord, she doesn't name the Lord as one of the many, but recognizes he is the Lord. Do you see that in, in your Bibles? It has Lord in lowercase or uppercase letters, right? Lower caps, small caps. So every time you come across that in the Old Testament, that is our English translation for the Hebrew word Yahweh. You see, in Rahab saying, the Lord your God, she is saying Yahweh. Yahweh is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who rules over the heavens and the earth. There is one true God. This pagan, polytheistic prostitute declares with great confidence, with great faith, that this is the one true God. She has put her faith in God. And we see that in future chapters, we're going to see that because of the object of her faith, she is delivered. That God's mercy comes to her house. Okay, so let's return to those questions. Those questions that I asked you to be thinking about as we are reading the passage. So who is God's grace for? Who are the people of faith? Well, this passage is telling us God's grace is for sinners. Like Rahab the prostitute. So what about you? Where have you placed your faith? Now, we don't have gods like in Canaan, right? Baals and Ashtra and all these other gods, right? We're not bowing down physically in front of these statues that we have created with our own hands. No, but we, we have other sorts of gods, don't we? They're much more subtle, right? Gods like security and wealth, like convenience and ease, like money and power. 
These are the places where we place our faith. So what about you? Now, maybe you're sitting there and it's hard for you to imagine God's grace for you. Right? Because you know your past. You know your, the things you have done, the things that you have said. You know that in the past you have doubted. You have questioned. That your past is filled with, with, with crazy and wild exploits. That, that the things that you have said and the things that you have thought, like you, you would hate for anyone to know those things. And then you think, well, the church, God's people, they're pretty cleaned up and prettied up. And they say the right words and they do the right things. And you're sitting there thinking, not, not like me. Maybe that's who you are. And yet, the central character of this chapter is a prostitute. A foreigner, an idolater. And she is numbered alongside the heroes of the faith. Right? She's numbered alongside the heroes of the faith. And not only that, but, but after she is spared, and after she is received into God's people, she goes and gets married to a man named Salmon. And Salmon, through Rahab, has a son named Boaz. And Boaz has a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David, the king of Israel. Rahab the prostitute, through her line comes David, the great king. And if we were to go generation after generation after generation, we would come to David's greater king. We would come to Christ, to Jesus, the king of the universe, the savior of the world, has a prostitute in his family line. We call her Rahab the prostitute, and Jesus would have called her great, 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 however many greats, grandmother. Y'all think about that. That that's what he would have called Rahab. And what's amazing still is that he calls us not grandma or grandpa, but he calls us brother and sister. He calls people like us friend. For in John chapter 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for, your, for his friends. You are my friends. That's what he said to his disciples. That's what he says to us. That God's people, the church, isn't for the clean and the manicured. It's for sinners like Rahab and like you and like me. And that also means that the church is the place where we welcome sinners with a past with a history, who have done and said things that they don't ever want to talk about again. That that's who we are to be. Rahab was welcomed into the people of God. And that's what we are to do. That people like you, people like me, that we would be welcomed into God's people because of his grace, because of his forgiveness, because of his mercy. Because there's faith. Rahab heard and saw and believed with faith. The people of faith are those who put their faith in God. And the people of faith are those who act on that faith. And we see Rahab's actions, right? She hid the spies. But she goes further. She was putting her life in the hands of the spies. Look at verses 12 through 13. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house 
And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And what do the spies say to her? They say, yes, we will do it. Our life for yours, even to death. And so Rahab puts a cord in her window so that when the siege comes, they know which house to spare. And she lets the men down through the window to safety. And so in this episode, what we see is her faith being enacted, right? We see meat attached to these bones of faith. And we see it in two ways. One, she takes risks for the people of God, right? I mean, think about this. By taking these men in, by helping them escape, she was putting her life in jeopardy. Yes, they've gone, but, but what if someone heard? What if someone saw? What if word got back to the king, like Rahab said this, but that wasn't really true? Her life was at risk. She was taking risk for God's people, but also we see in this act of faith that her allegiance completely changes, right? She is no longer siding with Canaan and Jericho, but instead her faith has caused her to align with God. So that she is now participating in the advancement of God's purposes and resisting the purposes of Jericho. You see, Rahab understands that there is no neutrality with God, right? We can't be Switzerland. (laughs) We got to pick a side, right? We are either for or against him. We will either look to him with faith or we will turn away in disbelief. True faith gives full allegiance to the Lord. And that's what Rahab's doing. She is denying the gods of Canaan. She is turning away from her past, and she is putting her faith in the Lord. And it's not just Rahab who acts with this faith. So do the spies. You see, they leave Jericho, and they hide out in the hills. And after a few days, after the men who pursued them, they have gone. They now go to Joshua. And in verse 24, we're told, they say, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So they go and they declare the land is ripe for the taking. We got it, Joshua. Send in the troops. We're ready. The land can be taken. God's ways are going to prevail. Now, for us, as we read this passage, it'd be very easy for us to pass over this statement. Right? And to just think, okay, this is just helping us transition from the spies to the taking of the land. But, but we need to remember Israel's history. Because this statement is in complete contradiction to what has occurred before. In complete contrast to what has come before, excuse me. Because you remember what happened before in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, Moses sent spies into the land. This wasn't the first expedition of spies into Canaan. This is the second one. And in Numbers, when Moses sent spies into the land, he sent 12 of them. And they came, and they went, came back to the people of Israel. And what did they say? They say the land is abundant. It's flowing with milk and honey, right? There's fruit, and there's so much uh, vegetation, and there's so much that we can take. It's a beautiful and glorious land, right? And look, they showed them. They brought pomegranates so big, they had to carry them on a stick, right, on a pole. And the people marveled. 
And they were excited. This is the land that God is going to give us? But you remember that those 12 spies, there were 10 of them, not Joshua and Caleb, but the 10 others, who not only said all these wonderful things about the land, but then said, but the men, the people of the land, they're too many, and they're too big, and they're too strong. We will never take the land. And so the people of God who were once excited to take this land, they're now overwhelmed with fear. And so instead of taking the land, what happened? They wandered in the wilderness. So what's different now? Is all of a sudden the land less abundant? Are the cities like Jericho, are they starting to crumble? Are the people, people weaker? Are they not as big? Are they not as strong? Is Israel mightier? Well, no, none of those things are true. No, the difference between Numbers and Joshua, the difference between those ten spies and these two spies is faith. Faith not in themselves, but in God. Right? What did they say? Who is giving them the land? The Lord has given all the land into our hands. You see, friends, it is not just Rahab who acts with faith, so do the spies. The spies who already believed. You see, faith isn't just for when we first believed. It's not just in that moment when the scales fell off our eyes, when we first witnessed or experienced God's grace. Faith isn't just when we first believed. Faith is for us as we continue to believe. Faith isn't just in our past, it's in our present, and it's in our future. Faith in God orients how we live. The smallest actions of every day to the riskiest decisions of life. The people of faith are those who know God's grace and rest in his mercy and live every part of our lives in faith in him. Not just spies who entered the land or Rahab as she put her life on the line, but it is for us that every part of our lives would be turned over to God. That every part of our lives, what we think, And what we say and what we do, that that when we go to our places of work and as we sit around our dinner tables and as we talk with our neighbors and as we drive our cars and as we change the diapers of our children and as we come here on a Sunday and as we go out from this place, every part of our life is given over to God in faith. See, faith in the God who has been gracious to sinners That is why we live this way, because we know our sin, and we know our past, and we know our history, and we know the grace that God has shown to us. And so let us be a people of faith who look to this gracious God. Let us be a people of faith who live every life by, every part of life by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have um, opened our eyes and turned us from our sin, and we ask, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would lead us so that we would walk by faith, that we would trust you for every aspect of our lives, that we would know that faith is not just something in our past, but it is something in our present, and so we ask that today, and tomorrow, and next week, and next month, and every day of our lives, we would live in faith before our God and King. And it's in your name that we pray. And God's people said together, amen.